oh yeah, I actually picked a female person to talk about, unlike these fucking misogynists. Alright, so, what's this episode about? Talking about some drunks, you know? <laughs> Just a little... <laughs> Please, not everyone at once. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we're talking about alcoholics. Yeah, I guess that's the more, like, PC term. <laughs> Calling them drunks is a little bit... <laughs> <laughs> Also, we're not talking about just any alcoholics. We're yeah, talking about three, yeah, three specific alcoholics. No, it's just good for nothing drunks, you know? Beer chugging, vodka <laughs> gulping, whiskey drinking, seltzer sculling drunks, man. Our plan was was to all be drunk for this episode, but um, it's 3.30 where I am, so... <laughs> That play, and it's a Sunday, so maybe not, like, the best. Yeah. Uh, and Clayton doesn't have anything because he was unprepared. <laughs> Duncan has some wine, but I, I, don't, I don't think he's drunk. I mean, that might be a little sad, actually, if yeah. he is. Um, but, yeah. Oh, also, uh, Clayton said before the show that he would personally donate $50 to Alcoholics Anonymous for every listener of this episode. So what that are is, you talking about? So just run those listens up, boys. Come on, that's so good. Yeah, this is a uh, a, a charitable yeah. episode. Thank you, Clayton. We appreciate that. Yeah, and Duncan said that he will mash two dollars for every dollar that I donate. So <laughs> thank you on that as well, Duncan. I will match you. I will match Great. you, bro. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so how, how do we donate it to Alcoholics Anonymous? Like, what do they uh, need? I, like. I will. I will just take the proceeds and I will uh, deal with it. You know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Do one of you guys want to get us started? I can start. Um. So, I will be talking about Hunter S. Thompson. So he, he, um, he he was an American twentieth century author and journalist and. He's the father of the genre of journalism called Gonzo journalism. He drank a lot, but he also did a like did a bunch of other stuff. And this, <laughs> <laughs> this lifestyle facilitates his style of writing. Like I don't know if the two if the people that you guys will be talking about are like that, but um, like Hunter needed this lifestyle to do his professional career. Yeah, he was literally like chaotic. Mm-hmm. His writing is chaos. You like can barely follow what's going on. It's like obviously written by someone who's fucked up. <laughs> I've I've heard the same thing for like Stephen King. At one point, he just needed to be uh... absolutely wasted to uh, be able to write. Um. So let's first set a baseline for listeners who don't know who Hunter S. Thompson is. Um, he, he was, he was in the Air Force in 1956, and he was, uh, responsible for reassigning electronics, but he was also the sports editor for the base paper, and, uh, oh, he got that job by lying about his, um, his previous experience. He also wrote for a, uh, a local newspaper, uh, when he was, when he was working, uh, when he was in the base, and uh, in, in the Air Force. Uh, the local newspaper called the Playground News, and he would write 
he would write things that he can't write uh, in the base paper, like really inflammatory shit. Uh, one time, <clears throat> Arthur Godfrey, a radio host at the time, he was invited to the base for a fire power demonstration. Uh, but Thompson wrote about his illegal hunting trip in Alaska instead, and just like really pissed off a lot of people uh, from the base. So he just really does not seem like mil- military kind of person like at all. No, he seems like if uh, one of our friends got sent to the military. Yeah, yeah, pretty well. So he 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 did a lot of shit like that. And eventually he was discharged. He was honorably discharged. And uh, his commanding officer commented, In summary, this airman, although talented, will not be guided by policy. So, you know, he's the, the counterculture, the anti-authority, the, you know, don't, don't do well with uh, authority figure, that kind of person. And his lifestyle reflects that. So... Uh, I guess while we're at it, let me tell you his daily routine. So, 3 p.m., wake up. 3 p.m., wake up. 3.05. <laughs> He's an early riser, this guy. Nice. <laughs> 3.05, drink Shiva's Regal while reading the morning papers and smoke Dunhills. 3.45, cocaine enters the day. 3.50, <laughs> Cocaine 45 minutes after waking up cocaine 350 followed by another man it's 402 right now shit yeah you'll be you'll be just like if you drink now or do cocaine now then you know you'll just be doing what hunter used to do i just have to catch up that's what you're saying right (laughs) yeah that works too just 3.50, 3.50, followed by another glass of Shivas and smoking Dunhills. 4.05, a bit of caffeine with the first cup of coffee and smoking Dunhill. 4.15, cocaine makes another appearance. 4.16, uh, a glass of orange juice and Dunhill. 4.30, cocaine. 4.54, cocaine. 5.05, cocaine. 5... <laughs> 5.11, second cup of coffee with Dunhills. Does he eat? Five... Does he have like food or like what? Well, not yet, because this is only two hours into his day. He just woke up for two <laughs> hours. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, so I guess he skipped breakfast. Um, and uh, 5.30, more, uh, 5.30, more ice in the Shivas. 5.45, cocaine. 6 p.m., grass to take the edge of the day. 7.05, go to Woody Creek Tavern for lunch. Drink Heineken, two margaritas, have coleslaw, a taco salad, a double order of fries, fried onion rings, carrot cake, ice cream, and a bean fritter. Consume Dunhills, another Heineken, cocaine, and a snow cone, which is three to four jiggers of shivers uh, poured on shredded ice. 9 p.m., cocaine again. 10 p.m., drop acid. 11, char- char- chartreuse? I don't know what that is. Um, cocaine and grass, 11.30, cocaine, etc., etc. 12 a.m., 12 midnight, Hunter starts to write. 12.05 to 6 a.m., in the morning, like 12.05 to 6 in the morning, move between chartreuse, cocaine, grass, chivas, coffee, Heineken, glove, cigarettes, grapefruit, Dunhill, orange juice, gin, and continuous pornographic movies. 6 a.m. <laughs> 6 a.m. Oh, sorry, one other thing. Did he, like, leave his, like, house 
often or like i guess this day is not a uh not an event day like, i guess this is a writing day oh okay yeah yeah because because he was a like traveling journalist right yeah yeah you couldn't have that sort of you could you wouldn't be able to do this every day if you're like out in the field no yeah he, he tried though um <laughs> uh 6 a.m uh to the hot tub with champagne duff bars and fettuccine alfredo 8 a.m halcyon i think that's a sleeping pill 8 20 a.m go to sleep um so <laughs> what is gonzo journalism anyway like and why does why does hunter s thompson needs all these drugs and alcohol to get him to do this kind of, this style of writing so gonzo journalism is a style of journalism that features the author as the protagonist and reporting the story from the first person perspective so it it usually involves a lot of like self-reflection and like critiques of the society so uh hunter would go to whatever event he he was assigned uh and he would go experience the event and write about it so the first uh the first event that he covered with like this gonzo writing style was a uh, was a piece titled the Kentucky Derby is decadent and depraved. And he was sent, so he was sent to cover Kenta- uh, the Kentucky Derby, but Thompson got caught in uh, in a social scene of Kentucky Derby and ended up writing about the so- so- social side of things, like critiquing breeder culture and just talk about how, uh, wrote about how kind of like filthy, how debauchery things are and just like people who are kind of like working there are just like all gross and like it, the glamour is all fake that mm. uh, a lot of a lot of, a lot of things like that and um obviously one of uh, one, one of the i don't know i think like his most famous piece i don't know one, one of the most famous anyway is um wait uh, all of a sudden forgot the title is fear and loathing in las vegas Yes, fear, yeah. fear and loathing in Las Vegas. That's that's about Las Vegas, and also the Hell's Angels one. That uh, he wrote, he yeah, wrote a yeah. book. He wrote a book. Well, it, it wasn't a book. It was like a lot of his stuff like published a as a lot of stuff published as a serial at first on on the newspaper, yeah. right, on the Times or whatever, and then he and then it turned into a book afterward. Have you heard of the book, uh, Fear and Loathing? Uh, on the ca- campaign, campaign trail. trail of 72. Yeah. I, I read that book. <laughs> Dude, it is so chaotic. <laughs> like, it's it's hilarious. He's just like, oh, yeah, I took a bunch of mescaline in the uh, <laughs> in, in the hotel. Didn't remember where I was. Then all of a sudden, he's, like, on a train. And he's, like, just wasted uh, and, like, fucking over this dude's campaign. <laughs> <laughs> What is going? I I couldn't follow any of the uh, any of what was happening, but he did tell McGovern, the Democratic leader, he was like, "Yeah, you should wear a Grateful Dead shirt on the campaign trail." <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read it. Um, it like I've heard of my friends talking about it and I I just like I don't, I don't even want to it just sounds to, to, so like chaotic too chaotic to read like I I was just going to like I'm just going to like eventually get yeah. to it that kind of thing and I heard like my my friend tells me about like you know told me about the book and he he'll be writing about how like Nixon would be like 
you know, praying to like a cult, like doing cultish behavior would be praying to yeah, a yeah. god or whatever. <laughs> and, just be like, and just be like, like any normal person would be like, what is happening here? Um, but yeah, that is like the style of uh, Hunter S. Thompson writing. He would write, it's like um, the truth is not as important because he thinks that um, a fake story can be more truthful than a true story if you tell it correctly. And it's more like he's describing the scenario and you can like relate to that instead of really telling you the fact. Yeah. Instead of telling you this is the pieces of information. And nowadays, of course, a lot of journalists do it like this. But back in the 60s and the 70s, like the standard was the, you know, who and what, how, you know, that kind of thing. And Hunter would just, you know, set those standards on fire and just like do not care about any of that. Well, it's also, it's just like very raw journalism, you know, like he just like it doesn't go through any filter with him. No, yeah, he he doesn't. He really, it's like that is his first impression and he just say it out and he just doesn't really uh, think of it again. No, no. Yeah, no, like he, I don't remember which book, I think, I don't, I don't remember, but one of the book he published, um, he was like not exactly pleased with it and the reason was because he wanted that book to be a challenge, um, to be a challenge for himself as a project that does not need to be edited, like just one take, one take and not look back. And that's his style of writing and, and all of it is so exactly so, so raw. So like, it just not really filtering, not really like, not trying to like make it look good, not trying to package it in a certain way. He just kind of like says like, oh, I see it like this and I find it disgusting because like, who are you yeah. pretending? Like, who? Why are you? Why are you being such a poser? You know that kind of thing. That's a lot of like his way of writing. And um, I was reading his novel. Like, this his this actually just full full fiction novel uh, called The Rum Diary. I was reading mm. it, and uh, it really is a lot like um, at first a lot of drinking. That's why it's called The Rum Diary. But it's also a lot like well, uh. We got drunk and then like we're on the we're on the road and we're like going uh, the rum diary set place in uh, Puerto Rico and who they just like oh we're on we're just roaming on the streets of Puerto Rico and then and then uh, uh, this person like another character in the story uh, wanted to get some drinks or whatever and then like our, our bar fight happened like all of it it's like so just like it it's like a yeah it's like it, a good version of a witness encounter. Yeah. Like a witness report, mm. but it's clearly not objective. At least to me, like I don't know, I don't know what anybody reads. No, read. no, it's not objective at all. Mm-hmm. I feel silly to even have to clarify it, but like I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if like anybody would look at it and be like, "Oh, Puerto Rico really is like this." Like, <laughs> how? Well, yeah, but like half of it is him just like shitting on his boss or shitting on his coworkers, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, like he's just he, he's just like a he he is actually like extremely intelligent. He's a really sharp guy, but then B he just like rips into people and has these like he, he's insane because of you know all the shit he's done. So just doesn't make any sense and it yeah like translates on the page when i'm reading it though there's a there's like this 
it kind of comes back to how like, like when when Duncan was asked like did he just not leave his house I kind of just wonder like well how long does it take for him to actually write those things because mm. like because you can't it's not like you know it's not like he's literally writing as he's experiencing the events so so he still so it's not like first completely raw experience he still processed it and then write it so this is why i think of it like how nowadays it doesn't feel as like his writing is still chaotic and crazy and still brilliant but like his style is not as rare or shocking anymore consider how people nowadays would go around and flog and would go around and point Mm. the camera and and they yeah yeah and that reaction is true, well, unless it's staged, but otherwise the reaction is truly, really like a first reaction, so raw and so gonzo journalism. But like back in the 60s or 70s, this is like considered very groundbreaking, very like just yeah, totally not what you're supposed to do and people will poo-poo you for doing it because it's, it's not, not a conventional form of journalism yeah, at all. Yeah. Exactly, it's not conventional. Yeah, it's not conventional at all. Wait, sorry. Have you guys seen the interview that he has with Keith Richards? No. No. Oh my god, <laughs> man! Keith Richards locked himself up in the hotel room, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving." And then Hunter Tom- Hunter S. Thompson shows up, and he's like, "Where's Richards? Where's Richards?" Finds where his door is, and grabs like this massive speaker like huge speaker and puts on a tape of cats fighting each other <laughs> what it goes like to like, get him right out of the in front room of keith richards door. yeah to get him out of the room he's just like <laughs> and keith richards comes out with a cattle prod and he's like whoa hunter all right <laughs> and then they just like they get drunk and start like, obviously smoking cigs and they're just like chatting about life and identity and all this crap is like man he just had like a record of cats fighting like lying around <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 like <laughs> it's not like, like just tape. youtube it <laughs> it's like oh i've done this oh, before yeah. actually yeah <laughs> that's the thing with um hunt uh, with you know, reading stuff from back in the days is that now. Now I'm thinking back. Now, now, I w- like I would think things like that would just not happen again because, like, people people's first reaction to a law thinks is to just film it or take a photo of it to a point where you can't really twist the truth a little bit. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Everything is so a- accurate and recorded <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not like you can just have you know, twist 10% of the truth to make it more uh, uh, accurate spiritually. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess a good way for, to phrase thing is nowadays we kind of sacrifice a bit of accuracy in spirits. Uh, we, we sacrifice a little bit of accuracy in spirit, but got more accuracy in terms of the actual detail of what's happening. But back then, yeah, I would guess things was more accurate spiritually to how things was like going instead of like getting the exact detail exactly correct i was i, I was just thinking that as i was reading like you know like rum diary or or uh kentucky derby could you guys imagine if hunter s thompson was uh 
So live sent out to Ukraine. Oh, <laughs> send to, to Ukraine. to go cover Ukraine. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that would be. I don't even know. I mean, I wonder if he would have or, been like a, a vlogger of sorts. Maybe. Oh yeah. Maybe, but just like a a vlogger, but better kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, because vloggers are like like so much of it is so lame. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. I think like vlogging could be a good thing. It's just the quality is yeah, so yeah. so low. <laughs> like there are not yeah, exactly. there are not many like, really good ones. Like the really good ones are really yeah. good. It's just there are not many of them. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, uh, I, I got like something in the mail and I'm gonna open it up. Wow, it's a new computer. I opened it and yeah, turned that's, it on. That, like wow, that's the thing. It's because like they have nothing to say. Like they have nothing interesting to yeah. say. I want to see fear and loathing on 2016 campaign trail. Like, that, that, would be, that would be hilarious. Yes. Man, that would be awesome. Thompson covering Trump's campaign trail. Dude. Hunter S. Thompson on Twitter. Imagine that. Um, but yeah, he, he wrote. He also wrote a book called... And that's like, I, again, like it's something that I want to read, but like it just sounds like it's so much effort to read it. So I'm probably going to listen to it eventually. Uh, and it's called Better Than Sex, Confessions of a Political Junkie. I think, you know, to enjoy a lifestyle like this is kind of similar to enjoy politics. Like it's kind of like you have to be a little bit messed up to enjoy it so much. Yeah. So... I want to like. I really want to know like what he meant by a confessions of a of a political junkie. Like I, I have a, like I have an I have an image of what what he is trying to say, but like I really want to know. Anyways, um, I guess my segment is as chaotic as Hunter S. Thompson's writing. Like it wasn't that. <laughs> it didn't really have a coherent narrative, but yeah, that it is. That that no. that, that, that it was <laughs> Hunter S. Thompson, Gonzo Extraordinaire. Yeah. Yeah, I like I. He's sick. I haven't read like I, I've seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, but I haven't uh, read any of his really anything. So I wish I knew a little bit more about him. But after hearing this, I'm definitely will be interested to look into it a bit more. He's a pretty crazy guy. I was yeah, I was kind of jealous when you picked Andreas Thompson because like I've been a big fan for a long time. Oh. You know, like if I were. To go more into, like, journalism, that I definitely kind of see him as almost like an uh, like <laughs> an idol. idol in terms of writing, not like not like uh, lifestyle because that's fucked. Yeah. Um, there's a really good documentary thing on YouTube about him about his life, and like they go to Vegas and he's like hiding near a dumpster and he's like he's trying to what what he's doing is symbolically tossing away the identity of Raul Duke. That's his alter ego, and that's, like, the narrator for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Raul but, Duke. um, at this point, he's, like, he's, like, oh, yeah, I've been living as Raul Duke for years, and that's, like, how the American media knows me. Oh, so yeah. I'm trying to, like, I'm ditching it, Raul Duke, and it's, like, this huge symbolic thing. But then there is also, like, he ran for mayor in Boulder, yeah, as a um, joke, and, and then played. actually kind of yeah, as a joke, yeah. He he cares. I don't know why it comes as a surprise to me, but he cares about what are people expect of me. Like, should I show up as this character, or should I show up as yeah, yeah? As, like, like to me, it, it comes as, as a bit of a surprise because his writing it seems like he doesn't care, right? Like, it, 
and yeah but yeah like it, it was it really interesting to to learn that oh he think he think about how like his image like he think about that yeah <laughs> it's like well he you know you, you would think like based on his lifestyle like he clearly doesn't care about his image but he does and it's kind of interesting yeah. to learn that yeah yeah no he's uh man crazy guy I think we could talk about Hunter S. Thompson for like literally hours. Yeah, and also uh, Johnny Depp plays him in all the movies. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's that's really interesting. They used to be I, friends. Yeah, I I watch yeah. a little bit of uh, uh, I watch a little bit of uh, Johnny Depp talking about Hunter S. Thompson, and it's like, <laughs> like you, their encounter is as bizarre as you as you expect. Like, <laughs> yeah, they just sit down. Like, hey, I'm Johnny. And like, hey, I'm John. Uh, I'm a hunter. And then like, they just drink a bit, smoke a bit, and then like, start like, uh, you want to shoot this, shoot this gun? Like, cause it like has a gun hang on the wall. Or something. <laughs> and, like, sure. And and then, and then Johnny Depp said that he ended up reading a lot of his, uh, like a lot of Hunter's work, but read it in a way that Hunter's wants him to read. Like he was conducting him. <laughs> and I just like, there's just, ah, uh, yeah. There's one. There's one bizarre thing that hunter hunter s thompson did as a child um because he was so into writing already what he would do is he would uh go on to a uh a, a typewriter and just type out um hemingway's work and he would just type it out word by word letter by letter <laughs> so he gets a feel of how his favorite books are type like hmm. the feeling of the author <laughs> as and i'm just like and and that kind of reminds me of uh um, uh, uh, Fisher, Rob, uh, Bobby, uh, Fisher? Uh, Bobby, Bo- Bo- Bobby, oh, Bobby Fisher, Fisher. Yeah, Bobby yeah, Fisher, yeah, yeah, like Bobby Fisher playing his own, like playing chess against his own, like against <laughs> yeah, himself. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the equal, equally insane behavior in my mind. <laughs> like, yeah, like, honestly, man. Yeah, and it's just like, ooh, these people are just crazy. Anyways, so yeah, that's Hunter S. Thompson. Who's next? All right. Yeah. Um. I'll talk about Betty Ford, but first, I feel like we were doing Boris Yeltsin a bit of injustice by not including him. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. He's the first I'm, president of Russia. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I've never met him in yeah. person. I don't know. You've never I, met I, him in person. I, You've never. Yeah, neither I have I. But like, I didn't, I didn't party with him, so I don't know how much he drinks. He was. He well, was I, a bit I, of a drunk, <laughs> drunk clown. Bit of an alky, yeah. <laughs> yeah, drunky the clown. Um, yeah, I I heard a story about him, and he like went to an official meeting at the White House. Um, and it ended like it started out just you know a casual, nice little dinner, and then ended up with him in his tidy whiteies <laughs> at three a.m. outside the White House trying to hail a cab. <laughs> the head of state of like one of the most powerful countries in the world, right here, you know. President of Russia, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, of course, it was in Bill Clinton's time. I mean, man, they must must have gotten up to something. But yeah, um, I'll talk about someone else that was in the White House, and that was Betty Ford. Yeah, she was she was really interesting. A very Ger- like Gerald Ford's wife. Yeah, Gerald Ford's wife. To be clear, um, but. She was super cool, like very independent and also like very ahead of her time. But yeah, she had like she grew up with a loving mother and a like loving father, but her dad was a traveling salesman. He was also an alcoholic. 
they moved around a bit and then they settled in Grand Rapids in Michigan. But because of her dad's work, he wasn't around much. And that kind of affected Betty. Um, and then he died when she was 16 of carbon monoxide poisoning in their garage. And apparently he was like working on the ca- uh, on the car in the garage. And no one really knows if it was suicide or not. I mean... Well, it's kind of a like, dumb thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Like if it wasn't suicide, then it was really stupid. I feel like he would have... I like... Come on. Like, surely he would have noticed yeah. it and been able to do something. I don't know. I don't want to trivialize this situation, but... No, yeah, exactly, yeah. But, yeah. Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Like, it seems pretty obvious to me that it was suicide. But, whatever. Either way, it messed her up quite a lot. Like, it, yeah, had a pretty big effect on her. Um, as it would to anyone. But... Uh, her mom became a little more reliant on Betty afterwards and didn't really want her to, like, you know, pursue her dreams elsewhere. She wanted to go to New York. She didn't end up going to Vermont for dance school. She was a big dancer and she was taught by Martha Graham, who is pretty famous. Um, she also started teaching dance back in Grand Rapids. And her, like, the costumes that they used, like, her and the performers used, were pretty controversial because they were, like, considered short at that time. And so there was a bit of a backlash. She also taught underprivileged black youth from the uh, community, which, yeah, again, like, at that time was, you know, not very common. Yeah. And she ended up marrying a, uh, another, like, well... A, traveling salesman not another but um just like her dad was a traveling salesman and guess what was an alcoholic (laughs) but he ended up going into a coma right before she was about to divorce him and she like i guess nurse or she was at least like there a lot for him and then when he woke up from the coma she divorced him (laughs) Fuck. That's so, brutal. Wh- so, yeah, why did she go through all these, like, effort to... Oh, so so she has the good conscience to, you know, help yeah. him when he is in coma. That's, yeah, I guess, that's almost, yeah. That's, uh, that's almost very selfless, in a way, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if you're going to divorce the guy anyway, why don't you just leave? Yeah, just, like, leave a note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> leave a note. If you wake up... <laughs> I have divorced yes. so courteous. <laughs> but, uh... So, he did wake up, and... Yeah, but she, like... like They went through the divorce, and then soon after, she started dating Gerald Ford. Uh, then they got married in 1948. They spent their honeymoon campaigning. How fun. Because, yeah, he was, like running for congress and for what, which state um for michigan oh, okay yeah he was from grand rapids too that sounds like a fun honeymoon hell yeah go out to you know some go some and, farm fields yeah, make some speech yeah <laughs> kiss some babies but yeah they like, like it became pretty obvious that his political life was gonna be time consuming because like he had big aspirations 
And he, he eventually, like, you know, fulfilled them. And he was a really good politician. Also, from everything I could tell, he seemed like a super cool guy. Yeah, so he wasn't around often. And they had a few kids. Um, and so she was, like, the homemaker. Uh, didn't have a job. And he was, like, out all the time. Like, he worked crazy long hours. But their their marriage was also pretty unconventional for the time uh, because she was a divorcee and she thought that might hamper his chances like with political life didn't end up but it was like a thing at the time she like gave up a lot to be a homemaker she never lost her fiery spirit though I don't know like she seemed kind of stuck because like she had to look after the kids you know do the average like domestic duties or whatever you'd like to Mm. call them but that wasn't really who she was like she was a a dancer she was very independent she wasn't like the archetypal like uh nuclear family mother that was kind of advertised during those days and she also had a freak fall and pinched a nerve basically taking her out of commission and kind of forcing her into a sedentary lifestyle she was prescribed with painkillers and she mixed them with booze which is like never uh yeah a good that's how that's what you know, that's what you like, do if you want to die right like that's really really well, bad no i mean like it's not like you i i don't know it's just not a great mix i guess it depends on what the painkillers are yeah yeah it really does depend but like Man, it's not a, it's not a recipe for success. I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> they, uh, Gerald Ford was a Republican, right? Yes, yeah, he was. But they were like yeah. more on the progressive side for the Republicans. A, a little more. He was like mildly progressive. Like he was definitely more progressive than Nixon. But at the same time, Nixon did have a lot of progressive uh, policies, hmm. which isn't talked about a lot. And I don't want to praise Nixon because he's fucking idiot but um (laughs) like one thing you do have to remember is this is pre-reagan so like politics isn't as polarized as as it became after reagan um which i'll get into a bit later uh but yeah as i was saying she was staying home a lot didn't really have much excitement and it seemed like much of the excitement that she got was kind of from the painkillers and the booze yeah, I feel like it kind of messed with her identity. You know, someone who was very outgoing, someone who was out a lot. Like, she was a big dancer. She was very outspoken. Even I I could kind of relate. Like, I, I had a pretty big injury to my knee, like, last fall. And it, it was kind of weird, like, going from being active all the time to not really having much to do and just kind of sitting around i was also like unemployed so (laughs) like i don't know like i like i looked forward to going out on the weekends because i was like oh yeah like i'm really bored you know Mm. not really doing much i can't go outside well i can't go outside but like i can't like be active in that kind of stuff so i don't know i feel you betty yeah like i imagine 
it's probably like it's a similar feeling for let's say like I don't know Beethoven and then like a great musician and then he lost his hearing. Like it's like what's the point of living yeah. anymore? Like my literal identity is like I make music and I can't even listen to it anymore. Or let's say a chef got like you know COVID and then lost the ability to taste for Forever. for yeah. like yeah for yeah and it's like well what even is the point like their identity like I I'm guessing like. I don't know, and I have a stereotype for the dancer type. You know, the dancer really wants to move their legs. Like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like it really probably does feel to her. It's like, well, what even is the point anymore? Like, I literally exist to dance. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't really do too much. She was with her kids a lot, um, and like they did kind of notice with the drinking that it was maybe getting out of hand a bit but they didn't really like act on it too much like i guess she was a functional addict right right it's also like kind of a taboo thing to touch at that time it's like well just like alcoholism in general but especially for like an upper class woman right like oh a woman she can't be a drunk right like i feel like there's probably some of that as well and then there was like the mother's mother's little helpers thing, right? Where women were being prescribed amphetamines because their like life was just so sedentary and they were just bored all the time. So that was kind of what kept them going. And I feel like she just kind of had a like a bit of resentment for being like in that yeah, like stereotypical uh nuclear family mother Mm. kind of role uh which didn't really shape her or didn't really fit her like personality at all but in 1976 gerald became president after watergate (laughs) uh fun times gerald ford is another like really interesting character consider how he he was never voted on to a vice president or president like he was not an yeah. elected vice president or, or president and just like you must be a really really good politician to be a president without being voted on well um i forget what nixon's vice president's name was but he was like he was tossed out because of corruption and then yeah like gerald ford from what i read he just was really popular in congress and nixon Nixon was like, oh, who should I get? Who should I get? It was, oh, yeah, Gerald Ford, Gerald Ford. And, yeah, so when he became president, they, like, obviously had a bit of a spotlight on them. Uh, a bit. A bit, But yep. she, yeah. <laughs> um, like, she went from being totally unknown, right, to first lady. And she used that platform really well, or, well, for good, and was totally the an an extremely different first lady than like melania trump you Hmm. know where like you know they just stand to the side and wave or uh nancy reagan nancy reagan like there's this first lady's site like biography site and the quote next to her for nancy reagan is it's an important legitimate role for a first lady to look after a president's health and well-being and if that interferes with other plans, so be it. No first lady need to make apologies for looking out for her husband's personal welfare. The first lady is, is first of all, a wife. And then Betty Ford's is, I don't feel that I, I, because I'm first lady, 
I'm very different from what I was before. It can happen to anyone. After all, it has happened to anyone. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, like very different. Um, she was like super kind of cool. Yeah, she wasn't um, just content to just be like just the, you know, the first lady that sits back and does nothing, right? Yeah, it does like a little wave. <laughs> and at this time, like the silent majority movement, um, like the new conservatives, they were like, it was like in full steam. And Phyllis Shafley, who was like the leader of that movement, which was, yeah, like keeping women in the home and like keeping traditional values, like anti-abortion, all that jazz. She like personally took on Betty Ford and yeah, they like quarreled quite a bit, but yeah, she like, she actually gotten a lot of shit with the Republicans because she said a lot about like women getting out of the house and women having jobs and being pro uh, abortion rights, which were, you family know, for, like, Republicans at that time. Yeah. Like family planning, that kind of shit. Yeah, so a lot of the Republican senators would go up to Gerald Ford and be like, yeah, you got to shut her up because, you know, this is not... Like, she would go against Ford's policies. Which is just, like, a terrible look for Gerald Ford. (laughs) Like, all of his political rivals will be, like, using that against him, right? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but it's just, like, for them, that's, like, that's, like, heaven, heavenly to discredit him. Well, he did he did lose to Jimmy Carter, so my boy. My boy Jimmy. Jimmy. That's what makes uh Gerald Ford awesome. Like he like he couldn't win an election when he to be a president, but he could just be a president without winning an election. I don't know, yeah. it just it just tickles my brain. That just tickles me. <laughs> um but yeah, after like after Gerald Ford uh left the White House, they lived like a a little more of a moderate chill life but like the alcoholism really got bad like really got bad she was even uh doing public like public speeches and you know like being on tv and it was obvious that she was like flat out wasted like just sloshed so this was like reported and like well known at the time. Like, was it like well known and mainstream? I I don't know if it was like mainstream. I I guess there'd probably be like a bit of gossip, but um, I think it it, it became more apparent to like those close to her okay. that this was like really bad. Like she was hiding, but not hiding well. Like the fact, yeah, that she was, oh, yeah, okay, it's kind yeah, of like exactly. That. Well. And it, I and at a certain point, like I feel like with like addictions and that kind of stuff, you know, you get to a point and you you can't hide it anymore. If it's like that bad, then it's not something you can just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go smoke a joint in the garage, <laughs> wink wink, you know, like, <laughs> just going to the garage and then come back like, shit faced. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So exactly. you're not hiding any, you're not lying to anybody. Yeah, yeah yeah it goes from like like a little white lie like oh yeah i'm gonna go for a walk and then you know like no it like it, yeah people notice everyone can tell like you're kidding yourself if you think that 
people don't know. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and they ended up having an intervention with her in the in the Oval Office. No, this was after. Uh, this was after. Yeah, um, no, this would have been interesting. It would have. Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. Big old intervention. They've got like the cameras going and stuff. Yeah, it's like a press. <laughs> the press is invited. <laughs> Betty Ford drinks twenty four PBRs a day. Turn turn to reality TV show. Yeah, <laughs> my mother's drinking way too much PBR. Uh, no, but um, I mean, there was a president who was. A reality TV star. Why can't we have a reality TV star that used to be a first lady, right? Why not? True. <laughs> well, I don't think there was reality TV at that time, unfortunately. But yeah. there was a real inter- intervention. This did happen, and uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty big like turning point for her because yeah, I guess like she hadn't accepted that she had a problem, and she was like super defensive about it. But her kids were like, yeah, we're not, like, going to let you see our kids if you're going to keep acting like this because, like, this is fucked. But she got the help that she needed um, and ended up setting up the Betty Ford clinics, which I'm not sure if you guys have heard about. No. Uh, yeah. No, no, I have. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're all... That's, like, literally all I knew about her before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, when you hear Betty Ford, you think of, like, the Betty Ford Clinic. And, yeah, they're all over the U.S. It's, uh, like, they're, like, addiction treatment clinics. Oh, okay, okay. And very, it was, like, really big because she came out and was, like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Like, yeah, I have, uh, addiction problems. And was very, like vulnerable you know it's like really not easy to say that shit um and then she yeah was uh she was on the board until right before she died for the betty ford clinics um she was a big advocate for like when uh when the aids crisis was happening and like obviously that's intertwined with uh drug use and drug addiction oh yeah another thing i forgot was uh, she had breast cancer while uh, Gerald Ford was in the Oval Office and she made it public. Like, oh. she publicly said, yes, I have breast cancer. And apparently it influenced a whole shit ton of women all across the U.S. to go get checked and prevented, like, a lot of deaths. Yeah, so she just kind of normalized, A, like, the breast cancer thing so... You know, it wasn't like this taboo thing anymore where getting checked would be like a sign of weakness or same thing with same thing with the Betty Ford centers. Like, I don't know. It's like so influential. She was so influential in being like, yeah, it's okay to have addiction problems and you shouldn't just hide them and, you know, like suffer and get help. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah. That's just, like, that's not easy to do, to just broadcast to, like, the world, basically, that you have this issue, right? Like, that definitely took a lot of bravery to do that, you know? Yeah, honestly. It sounds like she did, like, and, and I don't mean no disrespect. She, <laughs> I don't mean, mean no disrespect. She, but, like, she, she does, like, all she does is normalize stuff. Like, normalize yeah, what yeah. a woman in a family, like, a woman can do other things, too. 
like outside of family. Yeah. No, normalize that fact and normalize the fact that yeah, I'm a woman and women has a chance of getting breast cancer. So of course, like, and then normalize the fact that well, yeah, I'm a human and human. You know, when you're depressed, you you drink alcohol and then you become addicted. That that can happen. It like the way I say that made it sound very trivial, but it's not at <laughs> all. And and no, and yeah, like, and that's like exact, and that's yeah. like. Her contribution to her contribution is not exactly like do one thing, like made something or did something, but just like normalizing a bunch of stuff, and it's like, and it's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, no, it's super cool. Like, man, it's it's wild. She's like, she was like a feminist Republican first lady. Like, damn, man, that in itself is pretty crazy yeah he's honestly just a lot more interesting than gerald, gerald ford, ford yeah. is by like a yeah, very honestly. significant margin yeah gerald ford is like the most boring president ever yeah that was like the coolest thing about him was that his wife was cool yeah <laughs> yeah you go to their dinner parties like just to hang out with her yeah pretty well oh we're gonna go to the gonna go to the white house for dinner yeah okay who cares we're, we're here to see betty ford let's go <laughs> sick Man. Yeah, that's like I kind of want to do a little bit more research into that actually, because it is just like she, like she did a lot, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's pretty impressive life. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So for my person, I'm talking about uh, Andre the Giant, <laughs> my alcoholic, who was a wrestler and also later an actor. And he was called the greatest drunk in the world <laughs> because he holds, allegedly holds some pretty impressive drinking records, which I'll get into later. But first, I'll talk a little bit about the man, the myth, uh, and his personal life. So he was born in France in the 40s, and he showed signs of uh, gigantism. And this was because he had this really weird hormonal disorder called acromegaly, which causes the release of, like, excess growth hormones. So nowadays there's, like, injections and drugs and stuff that they can give you to, like, make it less severe. But back in the 40s in, like, rural France, like, they obviously didn't have those. So he just was, from a young age, was just huge. So he's like the um, opposite like six... of Lionel Messi. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Because like Messi had to take pills when he was young because he had a hormonal deficiency. Yeah. Oh, like uh, Messi couldn't grow. Like Messi was too small. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was like six three when he was twelve. Jesus um, Christ! So, dude. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So in, back in these days, like in, in France, you only had to go to school until you were like 14. And, so, and then, after that <laughs> and then point, you go to the like, wine fields. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, he went to work on a farm in rural France and he was just like a big farmhand. Dude. Just a fucking big boy. Man, they must have <laughs> um, just been like fighting each other for, for him. Yeah, uh, man, I can't even imagine. He yeah. probably was the best, like, farmhand, like, of all time. They were, like, recruiting um, him out of high school. <laughs> <laughs> He's like a draft <laughs> like Look at this prospect, man. It's gonna be great. Um, <laughs> he eventually uh, moved to Paris, 
um, and he got interested in wrestling and was hired and trained. And he became a huge hit. And by the way, they we're talking about entertainment yeah. wrestling, not actual regulation. Like so, Greco-Roman uh, wrestling. Yeah, it's just like Hulk Hogan kind of stupid <laughs> shit. He, um, so he, he became like a big hit uh, with the local wrestling fans in Paris. But yeah, he was obviously not done growing. And at his physical peak, he was about seven foot four and weighed five hundred pounds. Jesus um, Christ! So <laughs> at the right low like, age of fifteen, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is when he was like, I guess, in his early twenties. But uh, he really was a giant. Like, there's pictures of him standing next to Wilt Chamberlain, uh, the <laughs> basketball player, who is also huge. I need but to there's like now. a noticeable size difference between the two. Like Damn. he just he's got like bigger bigger hands and just like just a bigger frame. So yeah, I just can't really overstate just how freakishly huge <laughs> he was. Like it's crazy. But he ran into some issues though because it's hard to like a world is just not the world is not built for somebody his size. So things like uh flying in planes, uh being in like a passenger in a vehicle was actually like really painful for him. Because it's just it's just not big enough, so you have to crouch down in all these like awkward positions. I bet his back went through a bunch of shit. Oh yeah, it, it really did. I imagine even like taking a shit is more difficult yeah, than like honestly. people with like normal size ass. Like, <laughs> like, like anything going in and out a door like that that's a bit of a challenge already. Well, later in his life, he and when he got his own place, he actually had a house where he like custom built a bunch of everything <laughs> to be like his size. So his toilet was probably like huge. But um yeah, so his wrestling career really took off in the 60s and 70s, and he actually moved to Montreal uh. and was like a huge hit in Quebec, and this is what really propelled his career. I'm honestly not surprised. Yeah, really not that surprising. His agent was from Quebec as well, like his agent for like his entire career. But he eventually uh, got associated with the World World Wrestling Federation and moved to the States. And he was like a huge sensation there and wrestled people like Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik and like all these (laughs) famous wrestlers and stuff. I could get into his history in WWF and his titles and stuff, but I just, I don't really care, and I feel like he, you guys probably don't really care about Whoa. his, his career in WWE. This is, but that that's like the most legit sport ever. So please yeah. let let let's put some respect on WWE. Well, quick summary: he won a couple titles and was like undefeated or some shit. Um, oh wow! He. Oh, wow. Yeah. Damn, undefeated. But you want me Ooh. to give you, like, his stats or something? <laughs> but, yeah, aside from just wrestling, he was also just, like, a really cool guy. Like, he was what? Like he was a gentle giant, for sure. Super kind to others. Was known to be really down-to-earth. Uh, like, interacted well with fans. And just, like, fun to be around. And really not what you'd expect from such a, like, tough exterior, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... He was also one of the first wrestlers to become uh, a film star. Or I guess not really a film star, but he like featured in movies. He was in The oh, Princess okay. Bride. And he, he kind of, I think he kind of paved the way for people like The Rock, who, yeah. you know, started in WWE and then went on to become an actor. A horrible actor. 
But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's The Rock is not that great. Um but yeah, he did other TV shows and movies. He did one where he played Bigfoot. Like he actually <laughs> played the actual Bigfoot, which is pretty funny. But yeah, obviously uh we're talking about Andre the Giant because of his drinking though. Like this is the drunks yes. episode after all. So um <laughs> Yeah, he has some pretty unbelievable drinking achievements. Uh, actually, I, I don't know. I probably shouldn't call them achievements, but uh, <laughs> drinking records. So um, these are where the stats come in. Yeah, no, these are the important stats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and honestly, they're, it's like I'm, I can't even, it's, okay. So <laughs> just say it, yeah. I'm, I'm speechless. I'm speechless because it just seems so insane. So he once drank. 127 beers in one sitting jesus Um, christ (laughs) this was at a hotel bar and um he 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 got so drunk he passed out in the lobby but the staff couldn't pick him up or get him up so they just had to let him sleep in the lobby (laughs) until he woke up so oh my god yeah 127 beers before your segment began i was gonna say like can the three of us like i don't i i just know he drinks a lot i don't know how much he drinks i was gonna say can the three of us do what no 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 120 no that is not no chance not even Um, not even uh peak second year duncan (laughs) what (laughs) peak second year vodka uh vodka oj duncan yeah but like I wouldn't say I could actually drink like a lot. Nah. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We should put you up against Andre the Giant. All right. Well, just wait. Just wait. We're we're just getting started. Oh, we're just getting started. He also drank an entire case of wine in a night, and a case is like twelve bottles. <laughs> so. <laughs> and then, this one is insane. So on an average day. He would drink seven thousand calories worth of alcohol. Oh my so, god! Just so <laughs> a, be- a beer, a beer is like so- something like a hundred calories or a hundred fifty calories, maybe seven thousand calories every day, dude. <laughs> e- even a bottle of hard liquor is like not that many calories. Maybe a few hundred. Yeah, yeah, like let let. Beer is the most like yeah. caloric alcohol, right? Probably. So let's just uh, let's just say it's all beer. Then it's still, <laughs> it's like what the fuck? Yeah, I don't even. Damn. Know. Yeah, he could also just drink like multiple bottles of hard liquor every day and just be completely normal. Like two, three bottles of vodka was just like, eh, you know, if we want to get a little bit of a buzz or something. Two, three bottle of vodka and still be like, I think I can drive. um so he would also drink before wrestling matches and like most of the time when he was wrestling he was just absolutely hammered Um, (laughs) so being a huge person he obviously had a way larger tolerance for alcohol than others like for him drinking a bottle of wine was probably the equivalent of one of us drinking a can of beer yeah yeah um but still like that's just like, that's just absolutely insane. Yeah, um, that's fucked. So, he also, like, was kind of, it's kind of, like, a weird thing to say, but he wasn't, like, a mean drunk or anything. He could actually, like, handle 
the alcohol and was like okay to be around which is like pretty rare for most alcoholics like a lot of alcoholics are just like pretty dreadful to be around imagine if he if he is a bad drunk though like how can you even stop him <laughs> that would be you terrifying to, you need a taser ag- <laughs> a drunk aggressive andre at the bar man holy shit like at least the most trouble he would cost like the real life him is just you know him in the lobby like in the lobby and you can't move him but like, imagine if he's he actually causes trouble then yeah you really do need some i don't know other wrestler to take him down i guess um but yeah he was a rare exception most alcoholics are you know not fun to be around when they're no. but it is kind of sad though because so when he was doing the princess bride there was an actor uh carrie elwis who was the uh like one of the co-stars in the film and uh he he said that andre the giant didn't actually drink because he loved the feeling of being drunk but actually because he had uh, chronic pain um and andre the giant or sorry i keep calling andre the giant andre would drink to just like numb his pain yeah um because he he had wrestling injuries and being such a big person it just puts a lot of stress on his joints and stuff that seems like a common theme for a lot of wrestlers where it's like well i mean a lot of athletes in general where they yeah just like get so many bad injuries and then they get like prescribed painkillers and then they get on the booze and they've got a lot of money. Mm. It's just like, yeah, yeah, to ease the pain because like you, you know, you have to go out there that night and literally get the shit kicked out of you. Like just because it's yeah. staged, you, it doesn't mean like it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you got <laughs> it still hurt. <laughs> some guy that's like four hundred pounds jumping on you, like it's gonna fucking hurt. Yeah, and again, whacked with chairs yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Like it is still takes a toll on your body. Yeah. Um, I still think like he did like he did love drinking, but I think it's like worth mentioning that there was a little bit more going on, and maybe he wouldn't have drank to such an extent if he didn't have these issues and stuff. Yeah, but for sure. I genuinely can't think of anyone from history that could really like out drink him. <laughs> Like, I, I don't know if you guys can think of anybody, uh, but I really don't think anyone would even come close. Maybe, like, uh, what is, what's his name? Jim Daly? The golfer? Bob Daly? I, Man, I don't know who that is. I know who you're talking about, but I, bruh, 127 beers? That's, that's I don't know. That, that, guy, that guy was talking about drinking a lot uh, of shit, but yeah. Anyways. Yeah, so as he got older, his health problems got worse. He had back issues and stuff. So he had to retire from wrestling. And he became slightly more reclusive. Um, he didn't really like being in, in public too, too much. Because constantly being recognized, constantly people pointing at him. Like, oh my yeah. god, it's Andre the Giant, you know. Some people just want to be normal. And they don't want to constantly be the center of attention. Well, and it, it, there's probably also like the like thing where like they're like, oh yeah, it's a it's like the circus freak show, you know? Yeah, there definitely was that as well. When was he around? Like, what I don't what era is this? Like the eighties? So he was born in the forties, and he was wrestling throughout the seventies. But his peak 
popularity was like the 80s. Oh, okay. But he started to wind down uh, in terms of his wrestling and other stuff in the 90s. And um, he bought like a ranch in North Carolina. And he had like cattle, farm dogs and stuff. And he spent most of the rest of his life there just like living kind of like a relatively more modest life. But also just sort of away from the public eye, I guess. Reminds him of his childhood after school. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, like, he was born in rural France. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. That, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it's totally a thing that I can see somebody like that do. Man, I, I, I just, like, looked at, like, Google Images, Andre the Giant, and it's, like, a tall can of Molson Canadian in his hand, and it literally looks like one of those, like, tiny cans, you know? <laughs> like, one of the mini, yeah. like, Coke cans. Jesus, and like him right next to Arnold Schwarzenegger, like Arnold Schwarzenegger literally looks like a dwarf. (laughs) Yeah, and Arnie's like pretty huge. Yeah, yeah, man, like what the fuck? This guy is massive. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like it's. I, I honestly, I just can't get over how big he is. But um, so he he did eventually die from heart failure in the ni- early nineties, which was like not very surprising because, uh, like alcoholism aside, he didn't eat healthy, and typically people with gigantism develop severe health issues. And um, yeah, he was only forty six when he died, Ugh. but. I feel like it's uh, this kind of goes into the theme of a few people we've talked about here, like or um, in the past, like if they lived in a different time or had access to more modern medicine and stuff, maybe things could yeah. have been different. Because it's the modern time, like he wouldn't even grow to that big to begin with, right? Like the 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 hormone suppression medicine would have, you know, like he would have had access to those things. Yeah, they. There's things, steps they could have taken to prevent him getting to this state. And also maybe even just things like physiotherapy and stuff. But uh, yeah, pretty interesting guy. 127 beard, just, I, I, yeah. I just can't get over that. Man. Like what the- <laughs> I think, I think he's, I think if anyone deserves the title of like the greatest drunk ever, probably yeah. him, just in terms of yeah. like just yeah. sheer volume of consumption. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> insane. I'm looking at the the Mosin can't Canadian beer like that photo, and I'm just like, can I drink 120 cans of mini Coke? Like, I don't even think I can do that. Like, <laughs> if it's like a can of yeah, mini, uh, yeah, a mini can of Coke, I don't even think I can do that. And he's doing that with alcohol. And I'm just like, I, I just I, <laughs> I I don't even think I can drink 127 cups of water. Yeah, honestly be peeing like every two seconds it would be yeah kind of just like disgusting (laughs) to be honest yeah yeah anyway (laughs) pretty interesting pretty interesting guy three interesting people we talked about today seth i I thought you were gonna do the thing when when you talked about uh betty ford i thought you were gonna do the thing like oh yeah i actually picked a female person to talk about i'm like these fucking misogynists or something (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. Because of what I said last time. 
I was gonna I was gonna do it, then I forgot. But yeah, you know. Don't wanna man, don't wanna make it a boys club all the time. Like we gotta we gotta be like inclusive here. So it's my turn now to do something to talk about a person from a like LGBT yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah. You have to. Or else you're <laughs> racist. Okay. That's of course, yes. Yeah. So um um so yeah i guess any any uh oh, what's happening holy shit so i guess uh, <laughs> any, that's last closing thoughts? any last thoughts any so what we learned anyone? from this episode is that clayton sounds drunk when he's sober yes um so and truly any last thoughts uh nah just Drinking's fun, but don't drink too yeah, often. Drink, I guess. Responsibly. Uh, drink, res- drink responsibly. Yeah, drink responsibly. Yeah, drink responsibly. Also, Betty Betty Ford was pretty cool. Yeah, cool. Betty Ford was sick. Yeah. And also, if you want to drink a lot and ruin your body, do that, but don't drive. True. True. Don't yeah, ruin, I don't know about that advice. Others. Actually, oh, okay. I don't know about that advice. <laughs> drink a lot and destroy your body. Just destroy. But don't it, drive though. Like, you can destroy your body. Like what I mean is, you can destroy your body all you want, but you know, don't go destroying other people's body. Yeah, that's true. Drinking and driving is not cool, bro. <laughs> Seriously, not cool. It sounds so funny. Co- sounds so funny coming from you. Like I, like I'm whoa, not whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Are you saying that I Seth, Seth is a notorious <laughs> drug driver. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Um, if that's all, then um, smell you later. Yeah. See you guys later. Bye.